Hey, hey, D&D fam. I'm Quick. And I'm Lee. And you're listening to Divas Divas and Duckets. So what is a diva? I think divas get a bad rep. But to me, diva is all about the attitude. As for Duckets, it's your finances, your assets, Skrilla, Guap, your coin. We're talking all things with the potential to affect your pockets. And while we're attorneys by trade, we are divas by choice. Divas and Duckets is for entertainment purposes. Y'all, we are not Series 511 or <laughs> 703 professionals. This does not create a financial advisor nope, nope. or attorney-client relationship. The views expressed here are solely our opinions and the opinions of our guests. It's just our opinions, y'all. Okay, Divas, let's talk Duckets. All right. Welcome back, D&D fam. Hope everyone's doing well. Yes, we are in the final stretch of 2021 here in the good month of November. This is Caregiver Awareness Month, and we have a pretty amazing guest on to be able to give her experience um, with caregiver Mm -hmm. and her experience as being a caregiver. and of course, being a caregiver is also near and dear to my heart because I'm a part-time caregiver for my father. My mom's a full-time caregiver. We were caregivers to my grandparents. Um, and so I just wanted to run a few statistics before we brought the guests up. Okay. Um, as far as being a caregiver specifically, first in general, and then um, for African-Americans in particular. So one in six Americans, I like to say, you know, there's a 100% chance you know someone that has been or is a caregiver, right? Mm. And it, the even, I guess, scarier statistic maybe to say is that there's a one in six chance that if that is not you, it will be you. Mm. Um, so the statistics are very high um, in the United States that you will become a caregiver. There's 53 million Americans right now that are being caregivers. And it kind of makes me think about the quote that they always say, you never know what's going on with somebody, right? Just because somebody's not speaking to you or not, you know, you never know. And just when I looked at those statistics, I was like, I might be passing a caregiver. They might have just had Mm -hmm. a bad day, you know, because that statistic is like really, really high. Um, 61% of those caregivers are women. Mm -hmm. Um, Men are stepping up, but the number is still really low. And when it comes to like some of the harder things, um, you know, the bathing and all of those things, they still... I guess from the natural nurturing nature of a woman, it still kind of falls on women um, as far as being caregivers. For African-American caregivers, the average age of one is 47 years old. It's not that old. Not that old (laughs) at all, right? So when you think about that, um, that an African-American caregiver, the average age is 47, they're typically sandwiched between being a caregiver a career, full-time job. Um, more than half of African-American caregivers are working a full-time job mm-hmm. and still taking care of children and, you know, being spouses, which definitely is the situation with the guests that we will be bringing on and being a caregiver, right? So it's just that added stress um, mm-hmm. w- when it comes to that. And I just like to think, um, you know, that there's a really a huge expense, $217 billion dollars is attributed just specifically for Alzheimer's okay. um, 470 billion dollars goes towards being unpaid caregivers that's what they um, estimate the 
amount of money that unpaid caregivers are spending either in um, you know, caring, not having nurses or having mm -hmm. the nurses having to pay for those caregivers, um, the time that they lose from work, right. it just it's, it's a lot, $470 billion, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they, that, they tend to tell you that, that their two highest expenses will be daycare mm -hmm. when the child is young and then when you get older, Mm -hmm. with with elder care my dad always says once an adult twice a child right mm -hmm. yeah that, and it's, yeah. it's so true right and look like when you think about that twice a child there's somebody taking care of that child and somebody's prayerfully taking care of that elder so i you know those are some sometimes can be really daunting statistics especially if you're the one going through the process sure. um and there are resources out there we know that the national alliance for caregiving which we'll have in our show notes um is a place to start it is just a very general place for caregiving um you could definitely find whatever the situation is for your particular um, spouse or parent whoever you're caring for you can go and research those um uh situations like you know whether it's dementia or als or mm -hmm. some other kind of situation you can go to those particular organizations and find specific support um for you and we would like to dedicate this episode to miss patricia mccormick who lost her life in january 2021 after fighting her battle with als and in that, we want to bring in our dear guest, Miss yes. Sherry Smith. Say hello to the D&D fam. Hello, DM fam. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, ladies, for having me. Yeah, Thanks we are so, so excited to, to bring you in. Mm -hmm. And um, just kind of in that statistic, you know, what I failed to mention is that the majority of caregivers are only caring for one parent, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's an under 30% of caregivers are actually caring for more than one um, a parent or child or, you know, because a caregiver can also be you're caring for a child, right? Right. That has handicap issues or some kind of issues. Um, so it doesn't always have to be an elder. Right. Um, so talk a little bit about who Sherry was before becoming a caregiver? Well, um, I am a native of Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, 1997 graduate from Westover Senior High School, <laughs> 2001 graduate from Winston-Salem State University, where I obtained a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. So I've been a registered nurse for 20 years. Um, I am married to Roderick Smith. We've been married for eight years and we have two beautiful daughters. Mm -hmm. And um, my background in nursing, I specialized in medical, surgical, pediatrics, home health. And now my specialties are case management and legal nurse consulting. So that's Sherry in a nutshell. <laughs> I like it. Sum it up, honey. <laughs> so you're uh, with the Salem. You say you went to undergrad and went to Salem and, and that's where you got your nursing degree. Did you go straight into nursing out of grad, undergrad? I did, okay. I did, I did. I actually wanted to um, specialize in mother baby, mm -hmm. um, but I'm glad I didn't. Um, I really honed my skills in medical and surgical. Um, pretty much I took care of every type of surgery, whether it be hip surgery, knee, whatever um a lot of our pediatric patients they would have the jaw surgeries or tonsillectomies um the medical patients different medical diseases so i'm actually glad that i was able to 
have that stint in mm-hmm. med surge with all the chest tubes, the catheters starting right. IVs because you don't get that experience in mother baby. Mm-hmm. Right. Got you. And so quick mention, just a lot of statistics mm-hmm. really, but especially the one about you kind of being in the minority in terms of caring for two parents. So talk to us a little bit about maybe what health conditions or impacts or kind of how did you become the caretaker of two? So in 2007, um, my dad had a stroke okay. and um, he actually recovered very well. Um, he was able to talk and walk and uh, did a lot of physical therapy. He was able to drive again and um, he was a tax consultant. So he was able to go back to doing income taxes. Um, but at that time, my mom was his primary caregiver. In 2010, he had a second stroke and um, that left him with left-sided weakness. And she had a conversation with my sister and I, and she basically said that she was not able to care for him basically with him having the left-sided weakness. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we made the decision to place him in a long-term care facility. She really didn't want to have the conversation with him. So I had to um, come home from Charlotte to Fayetteville and actually have the conversation with him and let him know that, you know, I know he really wanted to come home, but that's just not a possibility right now. And it broke my heart because he broke down in tears Mm. um, because he really worked hard um, this second time around to be able to come home. But he just didn't recover uh, like he did from the first stroke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 2017, um, my mom was just having challenges with her blood pressure. Never really had any issues with her blood pressure before. Um, I was kind of coaching her on things to do, continue to exercise, drink water. She was always on the go. So she maybe would eat like two meals a day. And I'm like, mom, that's not gonna cut it. You need to eat six small meals a day. Mm-hmm. Um, She was also having issues with gripping things, being able to open jars, um, just a lot of neck pain, a lot of that pain radiating down to her arm. And she went to her primary care doctor. He placed her on blood pressure medication and it caused some cramping in her arms and her legs. And so she went back to the primary care doctor And she just felt like he wasn't really listening to the concerns that she had. So she said, if you're not going to listen to, you know, my concerns, refer me to Duke or Chapel Hill. And then I got involved and, you know, requested that he do an MRI of her neck, you know, to see what was going on, to do a nerve conduction study to see what nerves were involved and had a conversation with him and asked that he refer her to a neurologist in Raleigh. Um, got a recommendation from one of my coworkers, told the doctor who I wanted her to see. She was scheduled, you know, the next week. I wasn't able to attend the appointment. My sister went, she was able to um, call the doctor and have me speak with him. And he said, well, you know, what I'm seeing on the MRI report is not surgical, which is what I gathered. So he referred her to a neurologist. He was actually a neurosurgeon. So we went to the neurologist in Raleigh and an extensive physical exam. And I'm just sitting there looking at my mom and 
notice that she's lost a tremendous amount of weight. Mm -hmm. Her muscles in her chest are twitching and her arms are twitching. Her legs are twitching and the nurse mind is, is going, but I'm just kind of sitting back, you know, looking at the doctor, looking at his physical exam. He requested a slew of uh, labs. Um, he wanted to repeat the um, nerve conduction study. So he did. And we received a call that he wanted to meet with us on April 30th at 5 p.m. And I'm like, what in the world? Because most doctor's offices close at 4.30 or 5. Right, so if you want right, to meet right. with us at 5, right. it's really something mm -hmm. that, you know, is really serious. And so we drove up to Raleigh, um, met my mom there. And the doctor just sat down and he was taking forever to just kind of come up with a thought. And I'm just like, just spit it out. What is it? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, Miss McCormick, I think you have ALS. Mm -hmm. And the, <laughs> the nurse hat went off. The daughter hat came on. I walked out of the room because I knew what the, the prognosis was. There is no cure for ALS, um, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, so I got myself together. Um, I came back in the room and he said that he wanted to refer her to the ALS clinic at Duke. So um, we did that and they confirmed that she indeed had ALS. Um, they wanted to put her on medication, um, but with the medication, it really didn't slow the progression of the disease. It just allowed you to live a little bit longer. And me being the nurse, I said, well, what's the point? If it doesn't slow the progression, what's the point of taking the medication? Mm -hmm. um, so after the diagnosis, um, she lived alone, you know, in Fayetteville and, you know, she continued to have a lot of falls, some that she didn't tell us about, you know, she would fall and she wouldn't be able to get up and she would have to knock the phone down and call someone to come over and help her get off the floor. Hmm. So after a couple of months of that, she came to Charlotte, um, cause actually I was going home every weekend to kind of help out. And that was kind of taxing because, you know, when I would leave my daughter, she would say, mommy, mommy, don't look, go, don't go. And I said, well, I have to go. I have, I have to help grandma. Mm -hmm. And then just driving every weekend that was starting to do wear and tear on my back. <clears throat> so I would make sure that I would bring my mom to Charlotte every other weekend so she could, you know, be with her grandchildren and be with family. And, you know, every time she was here, I would make sure that I would have a big function. So she would just know that she was loved. Mm -hmm. um, so she um, decided that she wanted to come to Charlotte. She knew that she was getting weaker and that was the best thing for her to do. So um, in September of 2018, there was a hurricane that was going to hit Fayetteville and the ALS clinic told her that she wouldn't be able to stay by herself. So, you know, my husband went to Fayetteville and brought her to Charlotte and she made the decision that she did not want to go back to Fayetteville. So that is how I ended up um, being a caregiver mm -hmm. for my mom. And since she was ill and she was the primary caregiver for my dad, you know, we took on that responsibility as well. Pretty much a part-time caregiver for our dad, even though 
his care was more stable. Mm -hmm. He was in a long-term care facility. You still have to check in on them to make sure that they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And we still had, um, we were still taking care of his financial obligations. So Mm -hmm. technically we really were, you know, a caregiver for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did, because you were saying like, you know, your sister went there to the doctor appointments and that she would put you on the phone. You know, of course, you threw out some terms. that I was like, what now? Um, <laughs> how did you feel? Because I know you were saying you were glad you went through med surge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as a nurse, how do you feel like the knowledge you had there, um, even the knowledge you gained as a nurse helped maybe the doctors straighten up, straighten their back a little bit when they got on the phone with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when people realized you could talk their language in anything, yeah. they kind of, you know, they respect Tighten you a up. little different, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Especially with when being a black female mm-hmm. um, and I'm young. So when I'm talking, you know, I would get a lot of babies and honeys. No, no, that's that's not what we're going to do. Right. Um, when I speak, I never tell anyone that I'm a nurse. You can figure it out by the questions that I ask, uh, the terminology that I use, mm-hmm. the labs that, that I'm requesting or the, the tests that I'm requesting. Right. Um, there are times that, you know, I had to go there. I had to call nurse managers. I had to call the chief nursing officer. I had to call the state of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, my parents paid for me to have this education and mm-hmm. I'm going to advocate for my parents. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that's just so help. I mean, cause I, I've used your nursing <laughs> experience <laughs> even to my own father's journey. Mm-hmm. And it just, it makes a difference, you know? And I just think about all the people that don't necessarily have that knowledge and can't advocate for themselves especially in something that they have no idea what's going on to be able to ask for those tests because they probably would have just kept giving your mom blood pressure medication you know or knowing to but i I did tell her i said well i said mom like why are you taking blood pressure medication and it's so funny six months later she was talking to her friends and she said well they felt like you know i shouldn't be taking that i said well who was they I said, because I've been telling you this whole entire time. Right. Listen to me. You pay for me to have this education. <laughs> I'm not a kid. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. And yeah, you made a good point. A lot of times, I mean, people don't feel like they can challenge. They don't know that they can yeah. push the envelope right. or, mm-hmm. you know, do the, well, let me speak to your manager. Mm-hmm. Let me get a second opinion. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, and maybe because there's some reverence for, the yeah. field like when yeah. they know what they're talking about maybe i shouldn't so yeah that that's really a big yeah that's a really good point mm-hmm. um and so in, in dealing with this i mean outside of being in the you know under 30 percent, it's actually 24 percent was the statistic for 2020 um and they do that study every five years so for 2020 it was 24 percent of people are you know in that sandwich what they call the sandwich generation right yeah. mm-hmm. how was it how was that experience like being sandwiched between mom and you got hit with COVID. So you did with virtual teaching, mm. um, Fun you, time. which was hard for anybody <laughs> on a regular day. And you're a caregiver on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how was that experience? It definitely was challenging, um, especially when COVID hit, mm-hmm. um, because the re- reliability of caregivers started to dwindle. Right. And, you know, we're going to do what we can for our mom. Um, but when I'm working more than the caregiver, you know, mm-hmm. and, and trying to work a full-time job. And like you said, you know, we had online learning, so mm-hmm. you're having to stop what you're doing to listen in to a lesson so you can, you know, be able to help your child. Um, so it definitely, uh, 
was challenging times, especially um, with the issues with caregivers. The first set of caregivers um, that we had, phenomenal. Um, we were able to be wives and, and mothers and, mm-hmm. you know, still visit with our mom. Yeah. But, you know, when COVID hit and, you know, you have people who no called, no showed or um, called out um, 30 minutes before the shift starts, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you know, causes our mom anxiety and mm-hmm. us anxiety mm-hmm. as well. I can remember um, actually the week school started last year, um, that Friday, well, starting that Thursday, we had someone that just no call, no show. Um, my sister has more flexibility than I do. Mm-hmm. She's a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of got the, you know, the brunt of the deal, you know, when caregivers called out, you know, especially in the morning time, she would have to go over there and care for our mom. Um, But I remember that Friday I had worked 12 hours. I got off work. I slept for three hours and then I got up and then I worked the night shift. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember one of the caregivers coming in and she said, I'm seeing you and your sister's name on the schedule more than, you know, the caregivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it definitely was uh, a challenging time. Definitely. And so what for you, and I know it's, you know, different for everyone based on maybe their interest or just even resources, right? What were some of the outlets or support that you used to kind of, you know, decompress with all that going on? In the beginning, um, I definitely used uh, working out kickboxing Mm -hmm. as a way to relieve stress. Um, But as I said, as we started to have caregiver issues, you know, me being able to work out, that kind of dwindled down. And then, of course, with the pandemic, um, massages, um, speaking with my therapist was a big help. Mm -hmm. Um, just going to different um, church members or church leaders, deacons, just to kind of talk through what was happening um, and how we were coping. Um, few and far between date nights with uh, my husband. Um, So just really trying to hone in or, you know, trying to focus on self-care as much as we we could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I like to get into, you know, because anybody who has been a caregiver, people that are support, you know, the support system of caregivers, it's it's a level of emotional tax that you just don't understand until you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about how it impacted you, even physically, mentally, how it impacted the four corners of your home? Um, before we even get into the external support, right? Like how, how did that impact you? Um, well, I was already diagnosed with uh, anxiety after my dad had his first stroke. Mm-hmm. And a year into being a caregiver for both parents, um, I was diagnosed with depression. And I you know, there's always a stigma with mental illness. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel like um, it's not really talked about or people may view you differently, Um, but you know, it is what it is. I'm not ashamed. Um, 
you know, you have Jesus and therapists and medication too. Right. I was actually on medication, but now I'm able to um, take natural whole supplements mm -hmm. in place of that. Um, so it definitely affected me mentally. Physically, I lost a lot of weight, whereas my sister gained a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really have an appetite. And even now, um, just finding out that I was having digestion issues and not a lot of what they call the hydrochloric acid to digest your food. So mm -hmm. I have to take supplements to um, help with that because I, I don't feel hungry. And mm -hmm. if I do, it's like later on in the day. Right. Yeah. I lost a lot of weight, um, headaches, neck aches, back aches. So had to go to the chiropractor and visiting the massage therapist to kind of help with that. So it, it definitely affected me there, definitely affected um, the marriage mm -hmm. because um, there's not a lot of intimacy. You're, you're not yeah. thinking about that. When you're a caregiver, especially for two parents, mm -hmm. is something, something that happens every day, every second, every hour. Um, I'm amazed that I was able to work a full-time job and in between that, you know, making calls to check in on my dad, making right. calls to check in on my mom. Um, so it definitely, I don't want to say it negatively impacted the marriage. It was just, you know, there was no date night, those types of things. We always had um, communication. My husband was, you know, always present. Yeah. I can just remember when my mom was staying here before she moved into her own place, my husband would get up in the middle of the night to care for her so I could get sleep because at that time I had to be at work at 630 in the morning. And so a lot of people were like, wow, you know, what husband would do that? Um, and let's round of, <laughs> round of applause, round of applause. And even before... Um, she moved in, you know, yes, that's my mom, right. but you know, that's my husband. So I still had a conversation with him to make sure Absolutely. that he was okay with that. Right. Yeah. And he was, and he was. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's beautiful, you know, because a lot of people don't show the reverence or respect in the, in those moments, because I mean, ultimately, I, I, I believe that ultimately whether he would have said yes or no, you were still going to take care of your mama, right? However, <laughs> we, we threw the respect in there to be like, let's have a conversation about it. It wasn't like he was just surprised. He was like, this is what it is, you know? Right, um, right. So there's still that respect of, of that marriage hierarchy, um, you know, and I, I, we have, we have had many conversations during this whole thing, you know, and I've always thought that that was really amazing. Um, that the, the respect that y'all still had and how, helpful you know he was through that journey um well, with everything respect of that because some people unfortunately whatever their in-law relationships are like that's your mom right so, and right right you know yeah i mean it's 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 that's a lot yeah yeah that's and a he, lot. like i said he definitely stepped up um you know he would take our daughter to daycare he would come back he would fix breakfast for my mom um set it up so she could eat it at that time she was able to feed herself um, anytime she wanted to go back to Fayetteville, he took her. Any doctor's appointments that she had when she moved to Charlotte, mm -hmm. you know, he would rearrange the schedule and take her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my hat's off to Mr. Smith. <laughs> <laughs>
So, no, go ahead. <clears throat> oh. No, no, I was just, because when you were saying, like, you know, in the beginning that she was able to, you know, feed herself, like, for people that aren't familiar with ALS, like, what is the progression of ALS or what is yeah. it? Like, I know it also has a component of dementia, um, mm-hmm. which I was learning with my father. Like, there's all these different kinds of dementia and Alzheimer's is a form of dementia, right? right. So I was thinking mm-hmm. anybody that lost, the, you know, everybody has Alzheimer's, but that's not yeah. necessarily the case, right? Right. So with um, ALS, um, is Lou Gehrig's disease. And basically in layman's terms, your brain sends signals to your body to make movements, to breathe, to do whatever your body needs to do. With ALS, those signals stop. Mm-hmm. And um, it's different progressions depending on which type of uh, ALS that you have. The bulbar, it fe- affects your um, your breathing and your communication. And she had the one that affected her extremities. Okay. So... Um, like I said, she moved here in September. She moved into a facility right around the corner, which is was an independent living facility in October. By the end of December, she needed assistance, you know, with feeding herself. Um, she wasn't really walking. So the progression is very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very quick, especially with bulbar. It just kind of depends on exactly what's going on with the person. A lot of people have lived with ALS 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but she made it known she didn't want to live uh, five years right? Mm. Um, because it, it also affected her breathing. So she was on a breathing machine as well. And as you mentioned with the dementia, she did have frontal lobe um, dementia. So you could tell her something and um, five minutes later, you know, she would forget. So, mm-hmm. you know, the dementia was also involved with the ALS. Mm. Got you. No, I was just going to ask just the, you know, you mentioned your mom. At one point, your mom and your father were both, you know, in these independent living situations, these facilities. So, like, talk to some of that financial toll. Were you able to use insurance to kind of offset some of these costs? Or maybe what resources or things did you kind of tap into, um, to assist your parents? So luckily, before they ever got sick, they both had a long-term care policy. Yes. I don't know (laughs) what we would have done without that. We would probably be broke Mm -hmm. because being sick costs money. It costs money. (laughs) And um, I can just remember um, February 2020, we received a letter from my dad's um, long-term care policy. Oh, thank you, Mr. McCormick, for being a value customer. You've maximized your benefits. Wait, what? What? What are you talking about? Right. And so by getting that letter, and then there mm-hmm. was, uh, like I said, it was something going on with my mom, and I just lost it. I was in tears. I'm like, Lord, what more can happen? Mm -hmm. So I called the long-term care policy and, you know, try to see if we could appeal that decision. And so they looked at the policy to see how it was written. And it was written basically to say, you know, if you wanted to appeal a policy or appeal to that decision, Mm -hmm. the person would have to um, be able to do certain activities of daily living and care for themselves. And I said, well, if he could do that, 
he wouldn't be in the nursing home. Yeah, we wouldn't need this. <laughs> <laughs> so needless needless to say, you know, that decision was overturned. So um, let me back up with the finances. Um, when my mom moved here, she had, you know, their house as well as my brother's house. And, you know, my brother passed away in 2003, so she still had that house. So when she moved here, I had my mom's care and we were paying bills into residences in Fayetteville that nobody lived in. Mm. And a lot of times, and, you know, let me explain how the long-term care worked for my dad. So every month, the nursing home would send the bill to the long-term care policy or the long-term care insurance. And the long-term care insurance would reimburse my dad. So that meant they would put that money back into his account. Mm -hmm. So I would use my dad's money to pay for my mom's care or pay for the bills back in Fayetteville. Mm -hmm. So when that money started, stopped being reimbursed, I didn't want to deplete my dad's funds. Mm -hmm. Right. So luckily in my twenties, with the help of my sister, who was a financial advisor, you know, I developed an emergency fund. So Mm -hmm. I had to go into my stash Mm -hmm. to make sure that my dad was taken care of as well as my mom was taken care of with my mom. She was in an independent living facility. So that was $2,000 a month. Her caregivers were $2,500 a week. Mm-hmm. Plus the bills that I was paying in Fayetteville for two houses that nobody lived in. My dad's nursing home bill was, it depends. It could be. 3500 it could be 4500 depending on medication or, or or the different things that they may have done therapy or anything like that mm-hmm. so together their total cost was $14,000 a month $14,000 a month that's something you just can never prepare for like yeah. it's just no. not now, on a side note, because she said something about the caretakers not showing up. Are they getting this money if they don't show up? This $2,500 a week? Oh, ma'am. No, ma'am. I'm just making ma'am. sure this wasn't like a... No, ma'am. Right, if you don't show up to work, you don't get paid. Okay, because I'm because like... I, uh, and, you know, it was kind of like a little business. Um, my sister uh, has a degree in biology, uh, a master's in healthcare management, and she also was a staff super- supervisor for a home health, home health agency. Mm-hmm. And she also had an ALS patient. So all of this was coming twofold for her. So um, she actually did a care plan booklet for my mom. It told all the caregivers um, her her daily routine, what time she took her medication, what time she got up, what time she did um, her activities of of, her range of motion, what time she ate, different things. Um, We had a little space where they wrote down her vital signs. so she did that and basically I did the payroll. Mm-hmm. So she would calculate everybody's hours. She would send that to me on Friday and then I would go through and pay everybody. But you know, if you didn't show up to work, no, you did not get okay. paid. Okay, just making sure like, mm, stop yeah. that payment. <laughs> yeah. And then to touch base on how the long-term care policy worked for my mom, um, in order to get reimbursed for her care, 
how her policy was written is in order to get reimbursed, those caregivers had to be certified. Well, a lot of times you have some caregivers that have been doing this for years and they're not certified and they're good at what they do. Mm -hmm. And we had about two certified caregivers. So you can do the math on how much money we were dishing out and not getting reimbursed Mm. back. Mm -hmm. That's good information. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you wouldn't think to think about that, you know, Mm -hmm. like you just wouldn't think about it because I I just think about like um, when COVID hit and people were talking about like caretakers for like children it could be your family you could still get reimbursed for as Mm -hmm. long as that person's taking care of a child but Mm -hmm. they have a loophole that they don't have to pay you unless there's a certification going on right Mm. so yeah well um, with hers it started out and I can't remember the actual terminology but it started out where she was getting paid you know like a family member like $2,500 $2,500 a month, but when she started needing the 24-hour care, right, right, had to transfer that. And again, I apologize for not knowing the terminology. So that's when that took effect, you know, when she needed the 24-hour care and then we had brought in caregivers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was the stipulation, like they had to be certified in order for us to get reimbursed for that. Right. And, you know, this is, we talked to uh, Emma Mm-hmm. Uh, previously about she t- spoke to life insurance but then also like the long term plans and things like that folks go listen but <laughs> I think this is the kind of topic that you don't want to do that whole hindsight as 2020 right um, <laughs> because we know that one of the top reasons for bankruptcy I keep saying is mm-hmm. not people being irresponsible though right. there are those but it's medical expenses you mm-hmm. don't plan to be most people don't plan to be sick right so mm-hmm. what are some things that it sounds like your parents were really good about at least you know having those policies but what are maybe even some other things you would tell people to be in order to be like proactive instead of reactive um as far as my parents we definitely had conversations even before they were ill about not only the long-term care policy, life insurance, mm-hmm. their final wishes, mm-hmm. where they were to be buried. Yeah. So I would, you know, I, I know a lot of people don't like to have that conversation. They feel like if they have the conversation, it will happen. Right. No, definitely have that conversation with your parents so you will know where things are mm-hmm. because tomorrow is not promised. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was just easy for us. All we had to do was go to the safe, pull out an envelope, open it up. Everything was there. Mm-hmm. So make sure you're having those conversations. Even in this situation, I went and got a long-term care policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I even made sure that the, the terminology in the policy stated, you know, a family member, a caregiver that was certified or non-certified, you know, I still could use. Mm-hmm. Making sure that I'm paying attention to the maximum benefit because I did not want to end up like what happened to my dad right, right. and making sure that I'm paying attention to that yearly. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that you definitely can do to be proactive, mm-hmm. have those conversations, mm-hmm. especially um, if you're our age and your parents are aging, have those conversations with them about their insurances and their final wishes and where the plots are and um, wills mm-hmm. and, and all of that. Yeah. My parents even went so far to um, contact an elder care attorney. And with the house, they had um, a quick deed. Mm -hmm. And so 
there was a lot of things that we had to do to to get the house sold but again it was because we had those conversations with them that we knew what to do or who to call when right. these situations arose yeah right. another clap another clap it's so important <laughs> <laughs> it is man yeah so just also um as far as like going through the journey and the impact of that like how was your did it strain your relationships with friends or family are like you know because i know you know you were super outgoing and in your um alumni and with scholarships and all of that stuff so i'm sure mm -hmm. you know when you become a caregiver you, there's a just a shift in focus right yeah. and like did people understand that were they understanding did you have family support or how was that <clears throat> um with the activities that i was involved in i was actually uh, vice president of the alumni chapter who went to salem state in charlotte um so i had to step down they were trying to um promote me to president and i already knew um what was on my plate and i had to respectfully decline mm -hmm. um and they understood as far as um being involved in the sorority I had to step down. Um, the president was, again, just, you know, okay with, you know, my decision of not being, you know, at me meetings or mm -hmm. being able to participate. Um, as far as family, I will say that mm, some family um, stepped up, I will say there were some strained relationships with family hmm. and there are still strained relationships with family to this day yeah that's fair and i think um you know what what i what i gather from you and what was most important that you were okay saying no right in that moment you chose to do what was best for you and best for your mom and best for your intermediate family right you were okay mm -hmm. look I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me and I don't have it to give. And right now, no is going to be my complete sentence. Like, it's just, it's no. You know, because a lot of times we do get that extra strain trying to continuously please other people and they have no idea what your situation entails and how much that's already mm -hmm. draining of you. You know, people mm -hmm. will take as much as you give. They, well, they just will. Exactly. Calling a thing a thing, I think that's a, it's a woman thing. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, one have thing... No yeah, I think one thing, you know, we, we, because there's a lot of areas to bash men, but one thing they're really good at yes. is taking care of themselves. They will straight up say, man, woman, child, no, I'm not, no. And I think that a lot of times, whether it's mom, as a mother, as a whatever, like as women, I don't know when that starts, but it is that constant guilt or that need to... Mm -hmm be there and give right. of ourselves and it's just the thing like you can't you can't really fill other people up if you're an empty vessel right so exactly yeah. exactly exactly mm -hmm. and so there were some you know this is a very painful season is a painful season um for you because for the, the dnd family the um miss McCormick, the person that we dedicated this episode to, is Sherry's mother. Mm -hmm. So we know that this is a very painful season for you. To, this season is a new pain than it was last year, yeah. um, but still an ongoing pain. But there was purpose into it, right? There was something good has come out of it. So can you talk to the scholarships and the tea that you held, which 
was amazing for caregivers? So I'll, I'll just talk on how we we got there. Um, I can just remember a year into this journey and, um, you know, my mom wasn't handling it well, which is to be expected. Mm -hmm. You go from being independent to having to depend on someone. Yeah. Um, and like I said, mid about mid 2019, the only thing that she could really do was talk and move her eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to brush her teeth, you had to feed her, you had to transfer her. And to her, you know, that was degrading, especially having to have your children, right. you know, do that for you. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a, you know, a situation that had happened and I was just distraught. And I remember I was here, I was talking to my husband and I was just like, why us? Why me? Mm -hmm. um, I was just, you know, wanting to do something different with my career. We were talking about having a second child. And I, I just remember, you know, screaming out, why us? Why me? And God said, why not you? Mm. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, my sister and I, we were really looking forward to 2020, you know, that's, you know, vision change, just a new start. And I remember talking to my sister on the phone and I said, I think it's time out for the woe is me. You know, we don't mind being transparent. You know, we've had our year to cry and mm -hmm. go through this journey. Mm -hmm. But I really feel like our purpose is educating other caregivers with all the things that we had to go through and trying to find different resources financially and with the caregiver piece, it was very frustrating and very overwhelming. And I didn't want that for anyone else. So that is how we came up with the caregiver team. Mm -hmm. And my sister came up, you know, with the title, who cares for the caregiver? Mm -hmm. And we really, you know, wanted to promote it. And I had done a little silly video with one of my um, classmates from Winston-Salem State, and he knew Brigitte Mack. And so I just reached out to her and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. You know, we did this video together to promote homecoming. Um, my sister and I were caregivers for both parents. You know, we're having this tea. You know, I didn't know if it was something that you maybe wanted to, you know, highlight on your morning show. Mm -hmm. And she was like, most definitely. So I wasn't able to attend, I had to work, but my sister was on the morning show and promoted the caregiver tea. And basically we just had um, different perspectives. We had a chaplain, we had um, a counselor, um, we had someone doing yoga and basically it was more so self-care because mm -hmm. as, you, as you mentioned, you're so involved in caring for that person and caring for others, you know, you don't really care for yourself. Mm -hmm. And how can you care for yourself when you're you're empty? Right. And so we had talked about doing monthly seminars where we kind of had someone speak on long-term care policies, life insurance, different resources, but then the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the scholarships, 
um, as Melinda mentioned, my mom passed away in January of 20, 23rd of this year. Um, she was very active in her high school um, alumni chapter in Chestnut High School, as well as um, her alma mater, Belleville State University. Bronco Fry. <laughs> and her um, high school class, they decided to um, establish a scholarship in her honor. My mom was very big on education and community service. She instilled, instilled that in her children. And this year, um, her scholarship actually awarded was it four or five. I can't remember. I'm sorry. I think it was five scholarships. Had to be four. We got four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five scholarships to um, high school seniors that were actually going to college. Um, so there were actually five $1,000 scholarships. Mm-hmm. As far as the scholarship with Felva State University, my sister and I, we actually established that in her honor as well as in my father's name. They were both... Um, business education majors. Um, She was an education major. She was a teacher. And so we just established that in her honor. Um, We look forward to doing um, more fundraising to kind of build up that scholarship. But like I said, she was definitely a champion for education. She loved Feather State University. (laughs) Her whole right side of her closet was royal blue. So we definitely, you know, wanted to honor her um, by establishing a scholarship in her honor. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's so awesome to, like you said, just have something beautiful that can that's going to forever continue to give. Even yeah. you know, her legacy will will live on. Mm-hmm. Um, for someone that's starting their caregiver journey, um, or you know, even maybe their caregiver journey specifically for ALS, like. What, yeah. what words do you have to encourage them as, as they're starting the whole doctor process and, you know, looking for signs and family sometimes not even believing them, not wanting to believe that the change is happening, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just battling all of that. What, what would you have to say to them? I would say um, Google is not always your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Um, There's some misleading information on Google, Um, but if you do know a healthcare professional, reach out to Mm -hmm. them to get some advice on questions to ask or um, questions about the disease process Mm -hmm. and all the equipment and things that come along with that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I would also say it's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing I had to learn in Um, you don't have to be strong. Um, I would say in the beginning, um, I relied on my church family. They were definitely um, amazing throughout the whole process. But again, when we hit that year mark of being caregivers for both parents, my faith did waver. Mm -hmm. It really did. And um, a lot of times, I don't think people really listen to what other people are saying, especially when they're going through. Um, They like to give the churchy response. Mm -hmm. And that kind of aggravates me. Mm -hmm. Um, The stay strong. Mm -mm, I don't want to stay strong. Mm -hmm. I feel like you need to allow people to feel what they feel, Mm -hmm. how they feel, 
stop and pray for them right then and there or intercede in prayer on behalf of them. Um, it, it was a lot of, you know, don't cry. Well, Jesus wept, so mm-hmm. why can't I cry? How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's a lot of, you know, stay strong mm-hmm. and, and um, you got to pray about it. And sometimes it's you get to a point where you don't know what to pray. Right. And a lot of times, all I could say was, Jesus, I can't take it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like I said, my uh, church family, my friends, they had to intercede in prayer for me because I just didn't know what to pray. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I didn't know how to pray. Mm-hmm. So I would just say, you know, it is okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be strong. Find someone that you can confide in to talk to, to vent. It is okay to um, obtain a therapist, a counselor. Mm-hmm. That is, There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you have a great support system in your family, bravo to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like I said, you know, we have some relationships that are strained. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Um, I definitely applaud my sister and I for always being on the same page. Mm-hmm. A lot of families, you know, don't have that. Right. Yeah. And I felt like it was just her and I in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it was, you know, you had family friends that were phenomenal. You had some family that was phenomenal, um, church family that was phenomenal. But that at the end of the day, yeah. it was just her and I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had to be on one accord. Mm-hmm. And even now, we're having to rebuild that sister relationship because for three years, mm-hmm. it was a business relationship. Yeah. Right. Because when she called, it wasn't, hey, girl, how you doing? How was your day? Mm-hmm. Who, didn't, who didn't show up for work? What? Yeah. Right. You right. know, what's going on? So we're having to build that relationship as sisters again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely what helped me is always reading my devotionals. Mm-hmm. Even in the process of, you know, this journey, I would send devotionals to different people. I have stopped because right now I'm in the grief journey. Mm-hmm. It's a whole another journey in itself. I'm not gonna really get into that. I don't, you know, want to cry. But um so just leaning on devotionals, praying, leaning on my church family, just knowing that what you're going through is a test. Mm-hmm. It's a test for your testimony. Mm-hmm. Going through it I didn't know if we were ever going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, some days were hard. I would say the the whole three years were hard. Right. Yeah. Not right. sugarcoated. Right. right. It was hard. It was something that was happening every second, every day, every minute, every hour. It was. It was no break. And just to see where we are now and see where we've come from. Mm -hmm. 
is definitely a testimony. Our plan is to really get back into what we call our purpose is educating people on being caregivers and what mm -hmm. to expect and the different resources. But again, we're still grieving. Um, so we have to get through that process. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I'll say to you, th one, thank you for sharing your story with our D and D family. Mm -hmm. Um, but take your time to grieve, right? Yeah. Um, like you said, with the statistics of one in six Americans, your tea, your purpose is very much needed. Mm -hmm. Very, very much needed. Um, and, you know, I wish it the most success when it does happen. But take your time to yeah, grieve. For sure. um, yeah. And like I said, we just really appreciate your story because it's not often that we hear from the caregiver. Mm -hmm. You know, you always more often hear about the person that's sick yeah. um, and who's telling their story because they're sick. <laughs> so, yeah. um, right. you know, it's just it's. I just really appreciate, you know, the rawness and the realness of, of you sharing your story with the D and D family. Did you have anything? I don't. Um, I just thank you again. Like Quick said, um, we want to tell our listeners. Um, we'll get to it eventually. Sometimes these topics just, you know, yeah. we got to flow with it. But um, if you have a question, comment, concern, shenanigan. Um, you can email, email us at divaadvice at gmail.com. It may be read on an episode. Um, do you have a tip? I do have a tip, and it kind of goes to, I, I had tried to look at the clock. I think it was around minute 38 or 39 mm -hmm. um, of what our guest was saying, Sherry. Just kind of reinforcing that statistic, one in six, one in six, one in six. Yeah. If you are not that now, you more than likely will be, right? Mm-hmm. So have the conversations. Mm -hmm. um, you do not want to be, when you are a caregiver, the ideal situation is to just be able to be a caregiver. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the ideal situation. But with more than half of Americans being sandwiched, the ideal situation is not happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So be proactive. Get that long-term disability insurance. Get the life insurance policies whole life insurance policies that you could pull from start building your resources now start building your emergency funds and your safety nets because one in six you're more than likely going to have to use it and you don't want to be then it's too late then it's mm -hmm. too late because you're not going to get the insurance once they're sick it's not exactly. going to happen mm -hmm. so exactly. be proactive in that and for the people that i mean of course we don't know who it will be who will get sick um but especially in situations, um, you know, strokes can happen for a multiple of reasons, but they usually happen a lot because of high cholesterol. They happen a lot in the African-American communities because of high blood pressure. Yep. You have um, dialysis patients with diabetes, type 2 diabetes. We've said it, and we've said it on episodes when we brought personal trainers in here. That can be corrected. Um, those kind of things do what you have to do to make your body the best body it can be so that you're not putting another person in the situation of having to be a caregiver. Now, again, there are situations and diseases that we cannot control, yep. ALS, Alzheimer, there are many diseases that we cannot control, but the things that you can control, put your best foot forward so you're not having to put someone else in that situation. And on top of doing that for your own body, make sure you're the one getting life insurance, yep. disability insurance, mm -hmm. because you want that person to be able to just grieve yep. and not have to be going to file for bankruptcy. Or right? GoFundMe. 
Right. So mm-hmm. that would be my quick tip. Just be proactive. Treat your body in the best way possible. That is a form of self-love, but it's a form of love for another person as well, especially if you have children or a spouse. It is a form of love for them to put yourself in the best position possible so they're not having to be the one in six. Amen. Well, that is all we have for now. Um, In the meantime, in between time, you can follow us on the things, Facebook, Instagram, Divas and Duckets, our website, www.divasandduckets.com. So we will see you all next time. Yes. Have a great attitude. All right, bye.